Fantasy NBA Hybrid Podcast brought to you by Kyle, Jalen, and Michael. Today, we are here to talk about a few teams that made some serious moves in the offseason, and maybe, hopefully, they hope, we hope, playing for the play-in game. So, um, in the East, too, we're definitely going to talk about the Atlanta Hawks and the Charlotte Hornets. Let's start with the Charlotte Hornets, who made a very nice draft pick, I would suggest, at number three, picking up a Lamello. And then they made a big splash in free agency as well, um, signing Gordon Hayward. It changes their lineup considerably. Um, If you look at depth charts on different sites, uh, there are a variety of starting lineups that people are suggesting. Probably the most likely is Devontae Graham at the point guard, Terry Rozier at uh, the two, Gordon Hayward at the three, people suggesting Miles Bridges at the four, and then PJ Washington at the five. It changes, you know, it moves Zeller out, it moves Miles maybe out of position, moves PJ to a position he's just getting familiar with. How do you guys see this going for the Hornets? Yeah, I mean, that's an interesting question. Um, I'm looking at the Regium depth charts right now, and they have Rozier at the one, uh, Graham at the two, Gordon at the three, Washington at the four, and Zeller at the five, yeah. which makes some sense. Uh, I'm not sure I agree with their des- designation that LaMelo Ball would be a limited uh, playing time kind of guy since I think, you know, that's not the case for the third overall pick. Um, right. So you have to imagine he'll play a lot. You have to imagine Miles Bridges will play a fair amount. Uh, they re-signed uh, Biombo or they just kept him. I can't remember if he actually re-signed this uh, summer. But, right. yeah, I mean, I think those will be the guys. Like Graham kind of was the the engine that stirred the drink for them with his off-the-dribble pull-up three-point shooting last year. Obviously, he won't have as much responsibility with Gordon Hayward in tow this year. Um, right. But yeah, I mean, I'm not sure it's tenable, I guess, to start LaMelo, but I have to imagine he'll play a lot. Yeah, I think he's going to get a lot of minutes, just a ton of minutes, um, as, as much as he can handle there. And I feel like in that guard rotation, the odd man out is eventually going to be Rogier. Like, you know, he's got that big contract, but he did not show up for it last season remains to be seen whether he will be this season. I think LaMelo coming in shows that lack of confidence. And um, yeah, if they could move Rogier's contract, I'm sure they would. Yeah, I don't know how feasible that will be. I think yeah, favorite, me either. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think my favorite part of this story was the, the like midnight phone call, as it's been described, where Michael Jordan calls Gordon Hayward and is like, we really need you here. And, and it's like, and I, I just like imagined taking that phone call and, you know, basically being incapable of saying anything, but yeah, sure. I'll sign. <laughs> um, but because it's Michael know, calling. Yeah. Because it's Michael calling, of course. Um, and, and, the, and I mean, the 15 even helped a little. And even despite, you know, the, the decade over a decade now of kind of futility from that franchise, it's still Michael Jordan calling. And sure. you just drafted um, probably the best player in this draft. I mean, I think what, um, you know, someone many people expect to be the best player in this draft. And, you know, you just, you just have this idea that there's this like 
turning in the corner that's happening. And we just watched The Last Dance and we know how Michael came into a situation in Chicago where they had never won and it seemed as though they never could win. And then of course, turned them around into the, you know, one of the winningest franchises in, in, you know, in a single decade in M NBA history. Um, and yeah, I just, I like that story, but the, the kind of lead up to that was also just to say that it was really striking to me when Gordon Hayward signs, what that says about Miles Bridges, or at least what that seemed to yeah. convey to me about Miles Bridges. Um, and there was a lot more discussion around the league and reporting about that discussion about the, the Hawks, maybe, I mean, the Hornets maybe moving on from Miles Bridges which I don't know, was not in my thinking about that team at all. I, I you know, well, he's a he, Michigan State guy. I, I and, watched a lot of him. I thought he was very talented. I thought that he's shown real flashes of brilliance. And I thought that he's someone who gets at it on the court and he yeah, plays definitely. hard and he's, he's athletic and he's got a good skill set. And it, it just really surprising to me. I'm like, I'm curious what you two think about well, the fate the, of, of Miles Bridges, especially yeah. – you know, I don't think that, do you think he, that he, that he plays the four? I mean, I guess. I'm yeah, like, I, I, I mean, this is what, that's what I think is his future in Charlotte is playing the four. He did play the four a fair amount in the PJ Washington at the five experiment. And that went fairly well for both of those guys. The numbers look good there. Miles's bridges is output. Um, just as stat lines were stronger toward the end of the, the, you know, pre bubble season. Um, when he was playing there. So I think this, like Hayward was a move to push Bridges to the four and Washington to the five. This is their experiment. Zeller it's just was, such an interest. I mean, yeah, Zeller was ineffective, but I think it, you know, so I don't think it closes the door on Bridges, but I think it, all of this closes the door on Rogier. Cody Zeller's days are numbered. Malik Monk experiments probably done. I don't know if the Martin twins ever get there. So I think it does shut down a few other players here. Well, I'm most interested because, you know, this is really in the PJ Tucker, you know, yeah. kind of Draymond Green mold yeah. of center because, you know, PJ Washington's only six seven. I mean, he's only one inch taller than Michael Jordan, you know? Right. Like and they're gonna be having him playing the five. And the the main reason why I was asking about Bridges was because I can still see a scenario where it's PJ Washington and Miles Bridges, you know, duking it out for that spot at the four. Because yeah. because they that basically this this experiment, you know, that the the Rockets went all in on last year, um, really doesn't pay the dividends that people from an analytic standpoint might think that it will. It hasn't yeah. yet. People are still hopeful, I think. It hasn't yet. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think that, like, probably, I don't know if this is consensus, but the perception around the league, league would probably be that um, GMs and front office folks are higher on P.J. Washington than Miles Bridges just because he seems more like a fit with the modern pace and space NBA uh, yeah. as, a, like, um, maybe – a small ball four, as you say, he's only six, seven. So like even playing the four, he's probably giving up some size, but that seems to be the position he's played uh, since he came in the league and was pretty comfortable with. Um, and I say that he's more of the modern version because he shot 37% from three uh, last year. Um, and I think just like the theory of which player fits 
better around like your star ball handlers, I think is um, it's cleaner uh, and more yeah. seamless with PJ Washington. Miles Bridges uh, shot 33% from three last year and only 42% from the field. So I think like in theory, Miles Bridges seems like a better option, but like that athleticism hasn't really shown up uh, yeah. in terms of like his impact on the defensive end. And he's also not giving you the shooting. Uh, so you're sort of like, what really is he offering us here? He's sort of like, uh, I don't know, like an empty calories or like he's like more potential <laughs> than production here. Yeah. Um, and like, if he can put it all together, obviously that nuclear athleticism that he has will be great. But I mean, he's also, I think, listed at six six on basketball reference. So it's sort of like they're both kind of, giving up significant size and for whatever reason pj washington seems better equipped to deal with that than miles bridges so far and, and that was my thought was i really think that the the you know the writing on the wall is that you're going to see pj washington at the four and miles bridges expendable well who plays the five then they don't really cody zeller's functional i mean they brought um, back biombo i think he, with some, you know he some can eat some that, minutes they signed a couple of um you know, guys who might eventually play there, very Vernon Carey Jr. and Nick Richards. Um, unclear if they'll ever get real minutes. Um, I mean, it's just sort of the devaluation of that period. I see a future in which the Charlotte Hornets are starting five guys who are 6'6 six, six or 6'7, six, unless LaMelo grows some more. And then, you know, maybe he'll play. I mean, five. I think what's interesting is that, like, what you're saying is, like, I think Cody Zeller and Biombo are fine, like, in terms of what they actually give yeah. you on the court. But I kind of agree in the sense that if they want LaMelo to play with the starters, PJ Washington kind of needs to play the five because right. um, there's just no way to get Rogier and Graham and LaMelo all on the floor without him playing the five. So, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if that's a lineup we see um, sure. uh, at some point during the year, but I think uh, as a more like general way to wrap it up on not wrap it up, but just to sort of summarize what I think of the Hornets. Um, they're kind of like Pistons South as in they like <laughs> overpaid, they overpaid yes. Gordon Hayward the same way the Pistons overpaid Jeremy Grant. Obviously they paid a lot more for Gordon Hayward. Yeah. Uh, and Gordon Hayward is like more equipped to play the role that yeah. he's in, but he's still older, has a checkered injury history um and is very expensive um so it's sort of like i don't think they're really like maybe they're really 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 gunning for the eighth seed i hope they're not because that would kind of not be realistic i think to some extent like i think that if they get in the play-in they should be happy but they should probably still be leaning toward tank and asset accumulation and it just doesn't i just doesn't seem like that's a thing that that ownership group ever wants to do but yeah. right now with this team, they can kind of like walk that line as I think the Pistons are doing of like, they don't right. want to be the worst team in the league, but they also still <laughs> want to accumulate assets. And so even though they overpaid Gordon Hayward, they can probably still manage to walk that line. Jalen, yeah. I'm really glad that you made that comparison because I had a question to ask that I thought was going to be coming out of nowhere, but now you've perfectly set it up <laughs> because I'm curious, um, if you had to place a bet right now, who do you think plays more minutes this year, Killian Hayes or LaMelo Ball? LaMelo Ball. Killian Hayes. So, I actually think ball. it's going to be yeah. Killian Hayes. That's a good question, yeah. I, I think, think that I right. think the Pistons plan on Killian being their starting point guard from that, day one. That, it does seem to be the word out of Detroit, and so I do, like, I do think Killian Hayes is playing 30-plus minutes. I'm not sure LaMelo hits that threshold. But, you know, looking at some of the breakdowns, basketball monster has LaMelo playing 34 minutes a game. 
the most of anybody yeah. on the team. Which is which is honestly kind of backwards because you would think someone like Lamelo probably needs to play more, having come from sort of like a weird development uh, path. You know, playing in Lithuania, then coming back and playing um, in the, the you know his dad's league, whatever that was, the JBL or I forget what the name was, um, and then you know going to Australia for a shortened season. Right. So he really needs the reps. Uh, whereas Killian Hayes was playing like on a functional professional team with like grown men right. and had to play within a role. I mean, I think he had the keys to the to the car uh, and he was running a ton of pick and rolls, but he was still playing like on a functional team, had to play defense, right. has more professional reps than LaMelo. So it's interesting that like, maybe that's why the Pistons sure. are kind of handing him the keys, but it seems like in, in a weird way that that's exactly what the Hornets should be doing. I'm sure. I'm sure basketball Mark monsters numbers on that are partially about the talent gap there or the perceived talent. They just believe that he is going to win that playing time early and, and, you know, basically yeah. be the centerpiece of the team. The, the the monster thinking there, and and you you've both probably seen Josh Lloyd say this on Twitter and other places, but he he loves to go to his line about Terry Rozier, which is Terry Rozier is not a good basketball player. <laughs> he'll just he'll say it any opportunity he gets, he expects Lamelo to take over that spot, um, at, as you were saying, Kyle, and 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 yeah hopefully they can move off that contract i don't see how um, but this it, is the thing like i mean generally i agree although i think terry rogier is like a solid defender for someone of his size but i think what's like a sort of secret about terry rogier last year is he shot 40 percent from three um and i think right. he shot like a ridiculous like 45 percent on catch and shoot threes so wow. like I mean, playing with Lamelo is like exactly the thing that yeah. would be good for a player like Terry Rozier. <laughs> it could and unlock it. The rim is an inefficient is an inefficient like creator for himself and others. But like, if he's just a spot up guy who plays good defense and like attacks closeouts or whatever, then that's like probably the ideal role for him. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, it would love. I'd love to see him. You know, reclaim the trajectory he seemed to be on a couple of years ago after that great playoff run. Um, yeah, we just According haven't seen According to it. NBA.com, he shot 45.7% from three, catch and wow. shoot threes. I had 3. no idea. I, a game. I, I just imagined his percentages were terrible. That, like, that's all I remember about his percentages. So I didn't well, even realize. He, he, shot 40, he shot 42% from the field. So his catch and shoot three was <laughs> yeah. better than his from the field. So yeah, you were right. He shot terrible. <laughs> in um, that specific area. So let's, um, uh, I want to do something we haven't done in a long time on the Shot Tower pod. Let's talk about the fantasy implications here. Are you drafting LaMelo Ball? Do any of these players get a bump in fantasy or do any of these players lose in fantasy? I'll get us started with a really obvious answer. Gordon Hayward gets a big usage bump. Could be very valuable in fantasy this year. Yeah, yeah, I think ahead, I think Lamelo is going to be at least for for the way that I draft, he's going to be priced out of uh, my draft strategy. Um, I really think that you know this is this is one of the things that happens with big name rookies is that they they get in a keeper league they just get a lot of attention yeah. and people um, I think oftentimes are willing to go 
a little overboard with that. And then plus we have these incentives, um, you know, written into our draft, um, right. you know, sort of bylaws for the, the league. Um, Price breaks for yeah, takers and- Yeah, know. for the any team that doesn't make the playoffs gets a, a bit of a, a rebate on rookies, which makes the, the price they have to pay for what they bid less than what people who made the playoffs would pay. And so I think that, you know, for me, he, he doesn't really, um, but you know, this, this even goes beyond, I think, um, you know, like our individual league dynamics. I think that LaMelo ball will be one of these players who will be overpaid for. Um, I think he's going to have a tremendous he'll, he'll be season. Overpaid but... for, overdrafted, just like Zion yeah. will probably be again this year. Um, yeah, I think that'll definitely happen. At the same time, I look a little mellow ball, look at his projections, look at the kind of player he is. He's a great fit for your team, Jalen, or um, Smook's team, the step back. Also a really nice fit, probably. Um, Efficiency based yeah. teams. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I haven't I haven't really dove into the projections or anything, but I was going to say he's definitely sort of like catnip for me, a player who's flashy, gets a lot of assists, uh, can do a little bit of everything. Um, you know, I've got Trey Young on my roster, so that's exactly the kind of player that I'm into. Um, and the, the real issue with those players is usually shooting percentage and turnovers. And I think LaMelo will be probably even worse than Dre Young uh, was in his rookie year um, in terms of those categories. So um, it's, it's a, it's an interesting thing though, because it feels like Trey Young took a huge step in his second season and you would have to imagine he'll take maybe a smaller step or he'll just be able to be more efficient because there'll be better players around him um, and there'll be less of a load on him. So you're kind of in a situation where our keepers are for what, four seasons where, uh, with the, with these players who have this talent but are really turnover prone and maybe aren't going to shoot well in their first couple seasons, you're you kind of get stuck. Well, you, you kind of really have to hope that like what happened with Trey Young is maybe the best case scenario. They take a huge leap in year two and they sustain it for the rest of that right. keeper eligibility because otherwise, you know, all of a sudden year four or five and they're way better than they were year one and two and you didn't really get the value of that draft pick. Right. So yeah, I think one thing. Sorry, yeah, one thing ahead. weighing in Lamelo's favor there, though, is that um, he's he's going to have a lot more around him than what Trey had in Atlanta no, a couple of years ago. When, you know, this is no knock on DeAndre Bembry, who I actually like a lot, and especially like as a fantasy player. I mean, he just contributes across the board. But you know, he was a really significant contributor for them a couple of years ago on yeah. a team that Trey just did not have. A, a, you know, they couldn't even really make use of his fantastic passing ability. And I just think, um, you know, for the reasons you're mentioning about Rogier's catch and shoot ability and having Gordon Hayward there and you know maybe being able to unlock a little bit more out of Miles Bridges and PJ Washington one of the things I wonder about Miles Bridges is is you know will he be able to shoot better um, if he can just get a little bit more space if there's somebody who's attracting you know some more attention out there um, and you know maybe his fortunes change a little bit right yeah yeah um yeah, it's interesting to see whether Hayward and Lamelo and that sort of playmaking gives a bump to everybody else, or that usage uh, takes away from their fantasy value. Uh, I could see it going both ways on a few of the players here with the Hornets. Um, but you just brought up the Atlanta Hawks, Kyle, so I'm going to transition to the Hawks. Um, 
who made some what a uh, lot of like you know like log jammed positions oh (laughs) no absolutely in the hawks it's going to be the same thing and we're seeing it with a bunch of teams honestly like we'll see it with we're going to talk about the suns we see it a little there you know the pistons i've seen four different starting backcourts for the pistons depending on who you ask so um you know there there are a lot of jams here and because of the season they're the off season rather was so short um there are just a lot of uncertain roles right now and i think um fantasy will be all fantasy basketball will be all the more fun because of it um so in atlanta they brought in bogdan bogdanovich on a um, interesting contract um they brought in galinari to back up uh collins uh they also brought in rondo and dunn snell was a small pickup so i think we're looking at a starting lineup of trey young uh bogdan at the two um reddish or hunter at the three there's one of the jams collins at the four at least to start the season is what the hawks have said and then capella at the five but you know is it reddish or or hunter what happens to herder um and what about their wonderful new draft pick okongwu um you know where do these guys go what do you guys think um so i guess i'll start the hawks are kind of my like uh 1A team or second team after the heat I tried to watch like almost all the Hawks game or as many Hawks games as I could last year and I think I mean you can probably write in pin Clint Capella John Collins and Trey Young into the starting lineup and also I'll add Bogdan Bogdanovich to that Um, you know as we talked about before on a previous pod the whole dynamic between Bogdan and Buddy Heald in Sacramento you have to imagine was part of the reason why he wanted out and part of the yeah. reason why Buddy Heald was unhappy because he wasn't starting now you would have to imagine that Bogdan's going to start here in his new situation so I think you can pretty much pencil in the four starters and the real question is a uh, really small forward and yep. I've been reading the athletic today and Chris Kirshner and John Hollins have been writing about the Hawks and they have different takes. I think Kirshner has Cam Reddish starting at the three and um, Hollinger has Herder starting at the three. I mean, you can flip it whether he's going to be at the three or the two with Bogdan. Bogdan would probably be better guarding threes, but essentially it's the same thing. So I kind of tend to agree with Kirshner only because it seems like both from in my personal opinion and based on like my read on the Hawks, like front office and how they're leaning, I think they have more invested in reddish than they do in herder. Um, yeah. Remember they made the trade for uh, Deandre Hunter where they gave up the three picks, yep. but the pick that they kept became cam reddish. Uh, they didn't give up that pick. Um, and, you know, both, all of their players really, but cam reddish, especially just had, latitude to play and make a ton of mistakes last season and reddish <laughs> he <one>. made a lot <laughs> he made so many uh but he he looked better in like the the final 20 games of the season last year yeah. and basically i just think that he is the best option for straddling the fence or like meeting somewhere in the middle ground of like all offense or all defense and also like giving you some sort of like um offensive upside like basically my question with Kevin Herter is is his defense ever going to be good enough for him to be on the floor in high leverage situations um and the question for DeAndre Hunter really is is he going to knock down the three consistently enough to be on the floor and like how much dynamism are you really getting from from Hunter whereas with Reddish you know he makes plays on defense he gets steals 
blocks. You know, he's a disruptor. He's just more active. He's more of a live body. He has more potential, I think, both offensively and defensively than Hunter. Um, so, I mean, I would say Reddish maybe starts, but obviously, you know, it's kind of a toss-up. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I said, you know, Hunter seemed to be trending down over the course of the season. Reddish was obviously trending up. Um, and part of that reason was Herder was hurt. Um, you, you know, his injuries held him back last year. So I think there's still room for a jump from Herder. He was somebody tagged as a possible breakout last year. A healthy Kevin Herder might get it done. You know, he, he brings some be- decent playmaking. He can shoot. Um, he's a pretty easy. He's, he's a decent defensive player. Um but yeah, the injuries have really held him back. So it's unclear. And uh, I'm interested to know what you guys think about the Collins and Gallinari situation. Um, you know, one of the, it's been suggested that the Hawks aren't entirely happy with Collins. And that was part of the reason for bringing in Gallinari and that um, they may be looking to move away from him. I find it a little hard to believe do you guys believe that possibility there? Or is it just a little pressure on Collins to get that extension signed and, and lock it all up for another four years? I thought it, I thought about it before I even read anybody say it. I just assume that like the actions speak very loudly yeah. that they are looking to move on uh, from Collins. And I would expect that they're looking for trades. You know, is it because up- of the suspension or something else? I, th- I mean, Subsequent to, you know, that initial impression, like, I feel like the read has been that um, it might be play-based, that they <laughs> um, they don't see him fitting in, you know, the team that they're trying to build. And uh, um, part of it is, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I thought it was in part at least about defensive liabilities and they've got enough kind of, you know, defensive shortcomings with a, you know, an undersized point guard and, you know, an undersized backcourt. And well, I make it not with um, Bogdan anymore, really, but, um, you know, that uh, it was just another, you know, too many shortcomings and, right and you know maybe some off the court issues and whatever else i mean jalen you you've got the read on the hawks i mean what i mean his your... fantasy numbers are so good <laughs> yeah, sometimes it's hard to get beyond it and think oh he's not a fit on this yeah team. yeah um, no I i've mean, learned you're right. to divorce think... those two things yeah you know, of like course people's of course. fantasy numbers <laughs> from like how effective they are at actually winning games Yeah, I mean, I think that's always the like dichotomy that you have to deal with. But I mean, I think you pretty much hit the nail on the head. Like, I think John Collins is like sneakily a really efficient basketball player, especially on the offensive end. Yeah. Um, He shots 40% from three, like, like, which is kind of insane for for someone who didn't come into the league as uh, having a reputation of a stretch big. Um, like he's essentially a power forward uh, center type. I mean, I think the, I think the real issue is that a, he is like a four or five, he's a center on offense and kind of has to be a power forward on defense because he's not great uh, protecting the rim. He can block shots, but he's not great in sort of the whole communicator, um, you know, handling switches, being big around the rim, just deterring people from taking right. shots around the rim. So he has deficiencies there. Um, and so I would imagine it's kind of like a situation where they're like, we, you know, 
what do we do here with this player who's a four or five, who's really efficient on offense, who wants a max deal? Um, right. You know, is he really worth that max deal? And so Zach Lowe's talked about this basically. I mean, Lowe seems optimistic that the, the Hawks and Collins will get a deal done. I think they have until the start of the season to take care of that. So, you know, you know, there's a chance that they get a deal done below the max. I don't think he's going to get the max. And if, if he's holding firm on that, then I think he'll probably wind up on another team, but, right. but it's also he's willing like, to even whether they sign him at the max or slightly below the max, I mean, it could still potentially be a good trade asset for them, even if they've ruled him out of their long term plans. I mean, right. yeah. it makes sense but, on both sides, I mean, it, provided that they option if he doesn't get the max. Obviously. Yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, so, I mean, I think that's pretty much the situation. Like, if he's willing to take less than the max, um, I think he'll probably be there, at least in the short term, because they'll want to, like, see what their roster looks like. They'll want to see how he plays. Um, and, you know, the sort of subtle end of it, they'll want to showcase him for other teams. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's let, let's take a switch to the fantasy side of this. Um, do you see anybody on the Hawks trend? Trending up in terms of fantasy. I see a bunch of guys trending down. Um, I'm bullish know. on Reddish. R- Reddish would be one on the up. Oh, yeah. Um, Kyle, we're not usually on the same team on prospects. We were on the <laughs> Eric Culver. Uh, so this is cool. We're both on team Reddish. Yeah. Well, um, I mean, I'm, I've, I've, is- does I've, any- of course, like any any rational person, you know, I've realized that I was I was wrong on Culver, um, and he's not going to have the opportunity to develop anymore in Minnesota anyway. In fact, there yeah. was some talk that the Hawks were interested in trading for him, which yeah. I thought was like just like mind-boggling Ed, giving the, yeah, the, like the, the log jam that we had already seen at that point in free, free agency right. for their you know small forward and and shooting guard positions. Um, but uh. But yeah, yeah. I mean, talk to me about Reddish. Well, I I didn't mean to like cut you off or anything. I mean, I just think that like, I don't know, Reddish is working out. It has the same trainer as Steph Curry, uh, Brandon Payne. I just think he's got juice. Like, you know, we talk, You, I think uh, last year you heard me say the word shake a lot. Um, and I don't know if he's really got like primo shake, but he, he's got juice. He's quick. Yeah. He's got speed. He can play the passing lanes. He likes to guard. He seems to like to play defense. And like similar to Chris Dunn, he likes to kind of get under your skin, um, steal the ball from you, hound you full court. Like, um, you know, I think he did some interesting stuff guarding James Harden as well as DeAndre Hunter. Oddly, like was like a good matchup from for James Harden, probably because Hunter is just kind of like really even keeled and doesn't bite on any fake. So he, he, he like ironically did a good job on James Harden, but yeah, I just think he's got, he's got stuff. So it's easy for me to see like basically Cam Reddish's like floor is I think closer to Deandre Hunter's ceiling, like, which is just <laughs> basic three and D guy shoot 35% from three, you know, maybe take two or three dribbles and, and finish a layup in the closeout situations. And that's it. Like I have a hard time thinking Deandre Hunter can be much more than that, unless he develops some kind of like mid post game or fadeaway game or gets way better finishing at the rim, but he just doesn't seem like he's a strong guy with a big body, but just doesn't seem to have the like explosion and playmaking that someone like Reddish has. Yeah, I, I completely agree. It's just really sad that a guy who was a lottery pick last year 
we're, we're already saying that about. Um, yeah, not that I, I mean, he was I, like I, a four-year I saw like the, the same thing. Yeah. program in Virginia, so it's kind of like he kind of he kind of fits that profile of like just yeah, like a, a, a sort of solid, don't make mistakes kind of guy. But so with the Hawks, I see them bringing in a couple of quality players and Bogdan and Gallinari, um, Rondo and Dunn are interesting additions to I, I from a fantasy point of view, I see almost everybody else's value trending down just based on fewer touches. I could see Trey's number going up for assists, possibly, um, you know, maybe other categories for other players, but overall value um, even at the pace the Hawks play, I feel like we're going to see some downward trends for a lot of those numbers uh, with the Hawks. Um, do you guys agree or do you think there's some upside here I'm missing? I'll take that as agree. Why don't we move on to another team that made um, some really great changes this season. I'm very excited about them, not just because they have the absolute best new Jersey in the league, the Suns and their, the Valley uh, jerseys and gear, which I'm going to have to get some of at some point, but I love that they brought in Chris Paul at point guard. Um, they also brought in Crowder at the four. Um, Langston Galloway was a pretty low key, solid pickup. Uh, going out, they lost some serious um, uh, talent though as well, though I would definitely make the moves they made. They uh, lost Ubre, Rubio, Baines. Um, they gave up on Akobo um, and then rightfully so, rightfully so gave up on Kaminsky. Um, what do you think? Are, are, are the Suns a playoff team now? Yeah, I mean, I put I'm, them in those those playoff, those, those play-in teams. Yeah, yeah. Are they higher than that? I would like to suggest maybe they're higher than that. Man, the, the West is just so tough. Um, but they have Chris Paul, and they have Devin Booker, and the Suns went 8-0 in the bubbles, and Mikel Bridges was, was great, and DeAndre Hunter will be here for the whole season, and Cam Johnson looks good, and, he, like, I don't know. I like some possibilities here. Yeah, I feel like I'm kind of irrationally hyped about the Suns just because, like, I don't know, like, why can't Chris Paul just do the thing again where, yeah. he, you know, yeah. where he took the Thunder <laughs> to the playoffs? Like, I'm just like, well, Devin Booker is better than Shea. So, like, what? what are, <laughs> right? what's the difference here? It's just basically the same thing. Like, And I they mean, actually I guess, have a three, which, you know, Oklahoma City doesn't. And yeah, like... I guess you could say the real difference is that like they don't have Gallo, who was like a switch killer and like knockdown sure. three point shooter. Um, but I mean, Chris Paul, Devin Booker, and DeAndre Ayton—that is a really good offensive uh, th- uh, three players in your starting lineup. And then Mikel Bridges and Jay Crowder are like perfect complements to all of those guys. Yeah. So I mean, their starting lineup looks pretty strong. They kept Dario Saric. Right. I don't know why anyone who watches basketball would sign Damian Jones to a contract. I mean, <laughs> the Warriors basically like like uh, Bob Myers had to take uh, Travis Schlenk out to dinner, I think, to get him to take Damian Jones in uh, for Omri Spellman. Like, I just think that like that was a favor, I feel like. <laughs> like, I mean, I think the Hawks got a pick out of it, but like 
I don't yeah. think that like I can't imagine. I hope, anyways. I hope Travis Schlenk wasn't didn't have super high hopes for Damian Jones because if you watch the Warriors at all over the past couple of years, you would have seen that like there wasn't much there for Damian Jones. I mean, um, it was like a Bruno after. Fernando pickup, wasn't it? I mean, it's another body to play at the five if Capella gets hurt. Yeah, so so I I don't really understand the Suns picking up Damian Jones, and I've heard from I didn't watch I don't watch college basketball very much, so I don't really know much about Jalen Smith, but I've heard people kind of question that pick as well. So like I basically like everything the Suns did outside of the centers that they picked up. Um, I like Etwan Moore. I like Langston Galloway. Um, Javon Carter's a nice backup guard. They resigned him. Yep. Campaign. Maybe, maybe the campaign experience sticks around, uh, outside of the bubble. Phoenix likes it. He did all right. I mean, do you, so I'm going to list to you the six teams ahead of the Suns in my mind. And you tell me if you think you can, they can beat, you know, finish ahead of any of them. (laughs) Okay. Avoid the play-in game. So let's try this. The Lakers. The Clippers. No. No, no. The Nuggets. Nope. No. The Mavericks. No. Maybe. I'm gonna say maybe. No. Porzingis say no. is out. Maybe. Okay, okay. I I I'll I'll yes. With injuries I could see that. Okay. Uh, but then you also would probably have to take into account a Chris Paul injury. I mean they're they're you know True. Yeah, no, so, they're, they're of equal um probably risk, probably. Yeah. 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 So Blazers. No. Blazers are in. Jazz. No. Yeah, well, so, I mean, I think the Jazz might be better no. than the Blazers. I guess no. You know, it's like yeah, I'll take true. that back, I, I just, Kyle. Like, I'll take that back right now. As much as much as I really, you know, I'm I I'm loving the idea of the Suns and I'm loving the idea of watching the Suns. I can't put them ahead of any of those teams. But how many teams is that? Six. We're yeah, up that's to, six, which would necessarily put the Suns in the. So I guess the, I guess the they'll be in the play-in, but my I would bet them being like in the seven uh, for that play-in. Like I think I'd feel I'm more sanguine about the Suns than the Warriors. Honestly, that's kind of my hot take. Like I mean, did you just did you hear that Pelton Pelton's like analytics put the the Warriors as the 14th team in the West? Whoa, yeah, wow. yeah, yeah, that, uh, uh, and, yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, th- I mean, I don't want to like turn away from the Suns, but like, basically, like the Warriors, the Suns have Chris Paul and Devin Booker, two playmakers. The Warriors just have Steph Curry. Like, there is not yeah, a single no other backup like, point like, guard playmaker <laughs> other than Brad Wanamaker, who is not really like you, you can't just give Brad Wanamaker like twenty pick and rolls a game. Like, that's not his game. So it's like. there's so much on Steph Curry um, and like he's injury prone a little bit, you know, like he obviously had plenty of time to rest. Like I love watching him play. I'm super hopeful, but as like a nervous person who like thinks of the worst possible outcomes all the time, I'm kind of like, I'm going to have to listen to people bash Steph Curry uh, if the Warriors flop this season. And I'm kind of thinking more broadly, like what is the end of Steph Curry's career going to look like with Clay Thompson severely hobbled, potentially coming off both an ACL and an Achilles injury? You know, it's just going to give a lot of fodder, I feel like, if Curry doesn't come out like, you know, efficient and yeah. you know, bombing from three, it's going to give a lot of like ammunition to people who've just been doubting him all along, which I think was like, partly misplaced just because of the level that he reached in that like 2013 2014 to 2015 2016 time period but like yeah it's gonna it's gonna be tough like it's almost like I have way more confidence in James Harden just carrying a team to the playoffs by scoring 30 plus points a game but like 
I mean, Curry can certainly do it, but it's, it's just, they do it differently. And, you know, Steph Curry is going to be running off screens constantly. Is Steve Kerr going to put the ball in his hands and run a ton of pick and rolls is something he's kind of been hesitant to do for any number of reasons. So I don't know, there are real questions there. And like, I'm hopeful that Curry can kind of shut the noise down, but yeah, I, I, like I said, I'm more sanguine about the Suns being the seventh seed than I am about the Warriors. Like I would say, I completely optimistically, agree with that. yeah, but, optimistically, the the Warriors might be the nine uh, or the ten seed, but that's well, the let's best let's I can set see. up let's set up the next team that we're going to talk about because I think this is actually a, a worthy comparison. Um, yeah, do you put the the Suns ahead of the Pelicans? I would, yeah, yeah, I do too. I Are think- you confident about it? Too. I mean, this I'm is the relatively thing. Like, confident I... that the Suns will be better than the Pelicans, and I think it comes down to what uh, I think it was Jalen was just saying. You know, or uh, yeah, I don't remember which one of you said it now, but they have Chris Paul and they have Devin Booker. The Pelicans have Lonzo Ball and Eric Bledsoe, and yes, they have Zion. I know, and yes, they have Brian Brandon Ingram, but. I think we're seeing a transition in the, you know, we saw the transition to all of the threes and we see a lot of teams drafting and trading to get three and D and et cetera, et cetera. We're seeing another shift around the point guard playmaking position. And I think teams loading up on guys that can do that is the next wave of great teams. I see the Suns doing that. I don't see the Pelicans doing that. I'm... Yeah, I'm, I'm a little more hopeful for the Pelicans than that. I, uh, so, I you know, I, I so, like everybody out there in the world. Um, you know, I'm, I'm. We can use this as a comparison between the two. I don't mean to be done with the Suns, but I do just want to set up a, you know, a sort of thing here with Eric Bledsoe. You know, former Sun, very much still on. <laughs> yeah, so, right. So Eric Bledsoe has clearly had his struggles in the playoffs, um, but he has been a really exceptional regular season player and an integral part of the success that the Bucks have had the last couple of years. And I think that I was really worried about Bledsoe remaining in Milwaukee in part because of the repetition of those playoff struggles and how that can just create a situation where you just can't break out. And I, I think he's better than what he's played in the playoffs. Um, I think that a change of scenery and a change of personnel um, and, you know, just general change of environment um, and a new start um, could be really good for him. And I do think that it, that I at least expect he'll be as good in the regular season as he has been in previous years, you know, injuries aside and, 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 you know, these other contingencies that we can't take into account. That's Um, entirely reasonable. And I, I wonder too, if, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of development happening on the Pelicans and I'm not, I'm also just not willing to write off Lonzo yet, who is only really, you know, if you consider his years in Los Angeles to just be a failed start, um, you know, he's really only had that one year in new Orleans so far and it's a pandemic year. And, you know, they had so many injuries and so many players coming in and out out of the lineup, you know, lack lack of continuity. um, Even in that year, we saw his shooting get, better uh we saw solid defense he's a good rebounder especially for a guard um 
there could easily be another developmental jump here, especially if it's something that happens with his playmaking in the half court. Yeah, and so that's, you know, they're, they're clearly not. Bledsoe and Lonzo are not of the same talent level as, you know, Devin Booker and and Chris Paul. And, right. you know, it would just be crazy to even but think. But Zion it. might Paul be better than Jay Crowder if we're comparing But, this, but that's exactly it. They're differently constructed teams. And I do think that, you know, within the, you know, the, the – within the personnel that they have there, uh, I think that you could see them being very effective. And I'm not ready to to write off the Pelicans potentially being the team that is in that seven spot. I mean, as... I, yeah, I, I think the Pelicans are going to be really fun to watch, but the, the, the team construction is my question here. And Stan Van Gundy, who, you know, has made a bit of a reputation for coaching bigs, he's got two guys at the four and five who don't shoot the three Zion Williamson and Steven Adams. Like, how does that work? Yeah. So, okay. I'm just going to go in guns a blazing on this. Yeah. Let's um, hear it. I mean, I just think <laughs> that like the Suns have Chris Paul and like we've said, we're putting out injury. If Chris Paul is healthy, like I just think that, leadership you know control of the offense the fact that he's not going to turn the ball over and just like the top end ability to score and get other guys involved and set them up for shots is just so much better than anything the pelicans have um so i just think like if we i mean it this is maybe not a fair thing to do but chris paul obviously better than eric bledsoe devin booker obviously better than lonzo ball uh I think I would probably say DeAndre Ayton's better than Steven Adams at this point. Yeah. Um, obviously, Brandon Adams Ingram. Adams is trending down. And Aiden... obviously, Brandon Ingram is better than anyone that the, <laughs> yeah. the Suns have at the 3-4. But I just think that, like, not only is there – they don't have, like, a, a real pick-and-roll initiator. Like, I love Lonzo Ball. I, I Like, I love – I love his connection with Zion Williamson. I, I think that the team is going to have to run a lot. They're going to have to play in transition like yep. all year long, which yep. is not something that Stan Van Gundy teams have typically done. Almost Another never. thing Stan Van Gundy's teams typically don't do is have a bunch of like non-shooting bigs on their team. This is a guy who played uh, Richard Lewis and Hidu Turkoglu. And, you know, he was like, he wasn't yeah. pace in space, but he was like, you know, Jameer Nelson, Dwight Howard, pick and roll, and just everyone else is around the perimeter shooting. And this is not a team that's structured in that way. So I think I'm just really down on Steven Adams. And that's maybe where some of my pessimism comes from. Um, and I think I'm just trying to like, be honest about like the limitations that Lonzo has, like there's who's going to go get a bucket for this team besides Brandon Ingram. I mean, I guess Zion, but like, you got to get him the ball. You got to get him the ball. And Steven <laughs> Adams is going to be there mucking up the lane um, because that's yeah. what they decided to do. And like, this is, I mean, I don't want to get too much into the contracts, but Steven Adams picked up like a 7.5% trade kicker. So now he's like the highest paid player on the team for this season. And then he immediately <laughs> signed an extension for like 17 plus a million dollars which i think is a bit of an overplay and he didn't he did not look good in the bubble like he couldn't move like i can't tell you how many times chris paul chris paul the point god had like numerous turnovers trying to inbound the ball to steven adams in the post while like daniel house or james harden was guarding him and they just constantly wiggled around him and poked the ball away or he fell or something like he really did not look good in that series and like maybe he bounces back maybe he's healthy and like that 
you know, erases some of my concerns. And then the other thing is that I, I will say if Zion is just a monster um, yeah. and like the player that we saw in his best moments last season for the whole year, then then you're like, well, is Zion better than Devin Booker or is he around that level in terms of just impact on the game? And then that's, I think, where the you you might see that the Pelicans can be better than the Suns or can kind of like squarely find themselves in that eighth seed. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people question trading for Adams to begin with, but apparently the, the Pelicans front office was very high on him. Even more people question the extension, as you point out. And one of the things I've seen in a lot of the fantasy projections, a lot of people think Adams is, you know, uh, for a big, he's on the old side and trending down a little more quickly than some of the other bigs. Um, so yeah, I was it reading, could be I a was problem. reading about him and someone said Stephen Adams might be the oldest 27 year old in the NBA. Oh my God. He's only 27. Just because of the minutes he's been playing in the league. And I'm just like, yeah, he, I mean, he just, he just really did not look great in the bubble. And it's just, it was, you know, yeah, it was he just a bubble. Beat up. Yeah. He just looked beat up. And, yeah. He just yeah. could not move, but I mean, it was just a bubble. So again, maybe, maybe it's all fine. And like, I would very much like the Pelicans to be good because they'll be incredibly fun if they are good. Um, you know, I'd love to see a ton of, you know, alley-oops from Lonzo to Zion. Like yeah. I was the one who was saying, can the Pelicans somehow get LaMelo so we can just see all of the, uh, <laughs> the lobs and full court passes. So, yeah. Um, and I mean, I think I've heard good things about Kyra Lewis. So like, I, I feel like there's yeah. reason to be optimistic, but they don't have a lot of depth. Like, they kind of are marginalizing Jackson Hayes, um, who they picked up in that trade with Atlanta. And Alexander Walker a bit. Yeah, like now, where does he fit in? And they don't really have, I mean, I guess Kyra Lewis is the backup point guard or Nikhil Alexander Walker. Like, I think Alexander Walker is better suited as an off guard, as a two. Like, I think if he has to run the offense, he's not being best used. So, I mean, you can Yeah, I mean, the other pieces are JJ as well. Yeah, the other pieces are J.J. Redick and Josh Hart. Neither of which would be the one, but um, solid yeah. two play. Um, and yeah, Hart can play up a little bit. But yeah, not a ton of pieces there. It hasn't all come together yet. Um, I'm hopeful that, you know, they brought in Adams to somehow coach up Jackson Hayes in the way I'm hoping the Pistons brought in Plumley to coach up Stewart. Yeah, but yeah, that's that's the best I can hope for is there, and it's it, it is just hope. Um, I'm not particularly confident in either scenario. Yeah, I mean, the the one thing about it is we're comparing Stephen Adams though. So uh, when I'm thinking about the Pelicans from last year, I'm thinking about just the monumental leap that they made when Derek Favors came back, and if nothing else, Stephen Adams has been pretty durable. He's been somebody who plays you know, whole seasons. And, you know, um, you know, I hear your concerns about his durability and maybe his decline. And, you know, maybe we can't expect that going forward, but if he plays, you know, a majority of games and just gives them that anchor at the center position that they played really well around last year when, you know, Derek favors, um, was healthy. I mean, you know, that's when they just, they were nowhere. I mean, they were, right. they were nowhere. It seemed like there was not even, they weren't even in, in the playoff conversation. Derek favors comes back and they just go on like a 20, 25 game tear. Right. And all of a sudden we're talking about them, you know, if, 
the pandemic hadn't happened we're talking about them probably catching uh, the yeah. Grizz for the eight seed right. and you know they they looked incredible and it's true they were on the a tear yeah I, I think part of the rationale there was that they're like okay well look at what can happen with the personnel that we already have if we get a you know the major talent upgrade, you know, just in terms of just like doing the fundamentals beyond like Jackson Hayes. Right. right. And, you know, the other thing I just wanted to talk about for a second was um, you, you mentioned Akil Alexander Walker. And I really do think that he, I think he's going to get some run because like they, you know, for the reason that Jalen was mentioning that they don't have a ton of depth. I mean, he's going to be in some ways essential. He, they're, they're, you know, beyond like, maybe player eight, it gets really murky. Who's going to take up the rest of the minutes. Now, he don't has forget some, about Melly. He, he, he does some old man minutes. Yeah. I mean, I expect him to play too. I mean, I would, <laughs> I was, no, I was just, just going to say, that, uh, no, I think he's going to play a lot. I, I mean, I think that he's, yeah. I mean, he's, he's gonna, he's fun he, to watch in a weird way. Um, well, I mean, I expect so. I expect some lineups where you have Zion at the five and you have Melly at the four and, yeah. you know, you give him that kind of spacing that he needs. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that's those that's a great point. Um, those are great points. And I think I guess I think uh, to sort of tell the other side of it, like, as you were saying, Kyle, like the stability that um, favors gave them, they're saying Stephen Adams is healthier and like maybe a better passer. And therefore they're saying maybe Stephen Adams is better. So we can get that stability for more of the season. Um, and like that anchors our defense that solidifies our defense. And I think they'd probably say, you know, we got Eric Bledsoe to add to Lonzo ball. So we're pretty good on defense, which I think broadly I agree with, but I have some questions because Lonzo really is a two um, and right. Ingram is going to be playing the three. Like, I don't know, this this starting lineup is going to force Zion to be like a decent defender this year and kind of know what he's doing on that end of the floor. And I just think yeah. like the loss of Drew in terms of defense and the ability that Drew had to kind of just rove around and guard the other team's best wing player is going to be missed. And Bledsoe is a really good defender, but he's smaller, I think, and is not going to be as good on switches Um, so he's going to be great on point guards, you know, some of the smaller two guards, but he's not going to be able to slide up to the threes or even like big fours, as we saw Drew Holiday do a bit, but I'm trying to be positive here. And I think that like the argument for them, like panning out would be, I think that their defense legitimately improves Zion takes another step forward. Maybe we get some like slight increase in like ball handling and creation from Lonzo ball. Obviously, right. Ingram continues to be a great scorer. You know, Adams anchors the defense. And then, as you say, like Nikhil Alexander-Walker finds his footing uh, off the bench because, yeah, I, I totally agree. Like, he's going to have to play, uh, which I guess is maybe slightly scary to me is what I was trying to say. But I agree. He's going to have to play. And maybe also Stan Van Gundy can, like, do good for a guy like Melly because I feel like Stan does a good job with, the, like, stretch fours um, right. and these sort of, like, stretchier players. Yeah. Yeah. And um, what do you guys make of their, I think this was just yesterday I read it. Um, Zion is without a minutes restriction. Um, Looks great for his fantasy value. How about his real life NBA longevity? Is that the way to go here? Oh, and I guess the other thing I was going to say, it seems like uh, Griff came out and say Zion might play some of the three this year at some time. So it seems like there. It seems like with the addition of Stephen Adams and uh, Hernan Gomez, 
Right. Uh, obviously, along with Jackson Hayes already being there, that they don't want to play Steven Adams at the five. I mean, sorry, to play Zion Williamson at the five. So uh, I guess that's something to consider. Right. But, They're sorry, protecting him. Right. Yeah. Uh, no, interesting. Um, I assume with Zion's minutes that, you know, that's a smart move. They, He's not going to have a minutes restriction forever. He really only had it when he started his career because yeah. of an injury. And of course he had another injury in the season, but I don't, I still don't see him as, you know, someone who's going to be plagued by injuries his entire yeah. career. And I know someone was saying that, that he was uh, sort of learning from LeBron James's, you know, sort of like center of gravity, sort of like the way that, that he moves to like, you know, I don't know, basically like maintain muscle and joint health um right um and well lebron sure changed has, the way he ran yeah and maybe zion is has been doing that um uh it certainly worked for lebron uh and yeah another huge strong body um it'd be great to see it work for zion too um fantasy implications for the pelicans um anybody like I, I wonder if ingram takes a step back just with you know more good players around him touches being spread around a bit more zion could explode with uh all the minutes he's getting um any other thoughts on on i expect ingram to continue here? to develop i actually think he's gonna have a big to get better all right yeah. i'd love to see it um, I think he's actually going to have more opportunity to. They just don't have as many. Yeah, they don't have reliable, that guy that yeah, does what he does. Yeah. They don't have as many reliable players, and they don't have Drew there anymore. And there's just going to be a little bit more opportunity for him to take over if you know he's feeling it. And I guess a lot. I'm, you know, I'm betting a lot of times he's going to be feeling it. Yeah, when they need a bucket, he's getting the ball. Um, yeah. So let's, um, one of the other teams we were talking about here just made a really um, big trade. The Washington Wizards sent out John Wall for Ru Russell Westbrook. I think the Wizards just got better reuniting Westbrook with their old coach. Um, probably another play-in team somewhere in this mix. I also like their draft pick a lot, um, Denny Avdija. I don't know if I'm saying that correctly. Avdia. Say it again. Denny Avdia. Avdia. So um, uh, I see the Wizards making it. I feel like they definitely got better um, bringing in Westbrook over Wall, um, who, you know, each player has some serious limitations in today's basketball world. Uh, do you think the Wizards get there? Yeah, I feel like I was... I feel like I'm sort of in between the whatever the public conversation has been about the Hawks. Like some people are already like immediately pushing back saying, is all, is all this going to come together? They've got a lot of pieces to integrate, which I think are really fair concerns. So I guess what I'm saying is I expect the Hawks to be in the play in, but I, I did get kind of nervous when uh, the wizards got, uh, because I was expecting them to be like the seventh or the eighth seed right. when the wizards got Russell Westbrook, I immediately thought, well, huh. Um, Russell Westbrook's pretty good, uh, especially yeah. in the regular season. And um, I mean, I think, I don't know, you could have a conversation who's better between Trey Young and Brad Beal. Um, I think probably most people would say Brad Beal because they have some doubts about like For how now. efficient Trey Young can be if he's not <laughs> right. taking every shot. Um, but 
I don't know. I mean, I think that's yeah. probably a real conversation more than yeah. most people would think. Well, I, I feel like the Wizards are with Russell Westbrook are definitely a 500 team. I just don't see them not being that with what he can do game to game, just as hard as he's going to play um, that intensity, you know, all, all of that. So um, I, I like the Wizards chances to a point. I don't think it takes them very far in the playoffs, but I, I think they're there. Yeah. I mean, I like them obviously better than the Cavs, better than the Bulls, um, better than the Knicks, better than the Pistons, better than the Hornets, better than the Magic. So, I mean, I think yeah. I definitely expect them to be in the play-in. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the other side of the Westbrook trade, and I'm not talking about the John Wall side, is the James Harden side, which I think is still to come. Um I know you guys have some thoughts on that. Who wants to pick up um, where Harden might land and what that might mean? Just don't go to Philly. I don't want <laughs> to see it. I'm, I'm adamant about... You think he'll ruin the Sixers? I, I, I really... I am behind Ben Simmons no matter where he goes. I would really hate it if he went to the Rockets. There's like nothing worse than having to root for the Rockets. But, um, you know, <laughs> it, with, that wasn't always the case when they were, you know, the only antithesis to the uh, the uh, <laughs> Warriors. Like I could deal with it. But, um, you know, Tillman Fertitta and his and, and the, you know, yeah. just, I just I just don't want to deal with with them and having one of my favorite players. I love watching Ben Simmons play um, go to the Rockets would just be to me like a catastrophe for the NBA. And also having James Harden, um, a player who I liked a lot more when he had Chris Paul alongside him um, go to the Sixers um, and really I mean, to me, what I think that what the the main reason for me is that it would just it would be the end of the process, and you would have a very very short window to determine whether or not the process worked. And my belief is that it wouldn't cut it. There, that bringing James Harden is not going to win them a championship, and um, and the the type of cap hit that they're going to have because. Of having you know of having him on the team is going to prevent them from making any additional changes to uh, to make yeah. that progress, and then they're just in rebuild mode again. And right. when they've got a player who's seven years younger on a controllable contract, uh, and who still has upside, who has a ton of upside, and doesn't come with the baggage of James Harden and you don't have to worry about him, you know, living a nightclub lifestyle up into his, you know, early to mid thirties, um, where like, you just don't assume he's going to age well that way. You know, like there are just like a lot of reasons I don't want to see this happen. Um, I fear very much though, that it's going to, I just, yeah, the part James of me is Harden, unlikability trajectory is really getting steep and gaining some steam um yeah i mean i mean do you do you feel the way i do about just this kind of this feeling of inevitability one inevitability that he's going to be traded that but i just that seems yes i just feel like ben simmons is the best package that the rockets could possibly get and at some point it's going to get offered and they can't say no and then even if the 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 
Sixers don't really want to do it. And even if the Rockets don't really want to do that, it just ends up getting done, you know? And uh, I just like keep hoping that somehow the Nets package becomes strong enough that he goes there um, because I would love to see that team lose. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like uh, between Kyrie and Kevin Durant and then if they add James Harden, like that is, I don't think they'll be hated because I feel like no one really hates any of those specific players, but it'll be someone that everyone is sort of pettily, saltily rooting to fail and sort of fail in a very public sort of like fashion that we all expect, as in there's a bunch of infighting and sniping and everyone's complaining about how many shots they're getting and no one is taking any accountability for anything that happens on the floor and Kyrie's not talking to the media. So that means KD and James Harden have to answer his questions Two p- two players who don't really talk like it talking to the media anyways so i mean i feel like everyone is just sort of anticipating a sort of like just crumbling tower uh, of that situation and sort of just waiting with bated breath for that to happen so yeah i mean it would certainly be interesting <laughs> um i don't know i mean i i don't i don't need to go on another hardened rat but i mean i think harden and westbrook I mean, I I don't know what the quotient is for um, self-awareness amongst NBA superstars. You know, I'm not sure how much uh, (laughs) that that skill set or that position in the league self-selects for that quality. But like those two guys have to be some of the two two of the least self-aware players in the league. I mean, Westbrook, who when he when he fails or when he loses a bit of athleticism or when his jumper is not working he just he doesn't change he, he constantly takes mid-range jumpers that he that he can't make he constantly drives to the basket out of control um yes. and he got blocked like six times by lebron in the playoffs like viciously like dude <laughs> take a hint like do something different um so i don't know i mean i just it just feels like none of this can really go well for either of them really i mean i'm rooting for westbrook in in washington i i like that i i'm but I you want, can only root I want so our you know it, nearest right? hometown team to be like in some way relevant um and i think well, that he he could be fun you know he was well, if i'm thinking of guys i want to watch in person like he's like russell westbrook's definitely one of them like i want to see that yeah, definitely. I, I should say that I'm mostly just saying that I find Russell Westbrook more so than James Harden. I think just incredibly fascinating for like just I don't know. He came out in his press conference and said he's not going to change the way he plays the game, which I think he meant more so that like he's going to be like aggressive and mean and like, you know, his whole I have no friends on the court thing, which is totally fine. But I kind of take that to mean he's also not going to like stop taking mid range jumpers that he can't make or <laughs> you know, not going to stop driving into like a double team at the rim. So I, I, I'm not rooting against Russell Westbrook by any means. I'm just saying that like he has a history of not exactly adapting to changing circumstances. Um, yeah. And it would be nice. I think both players would be better off if they had a bit more self-awareness and a bit more ability to adapt to changing circumstances. Yeah, definitely. It's 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 missing from both of their games and I'm not sure – either one of them has a game that's championship basketball as the NBA has become the thing it is today. Um, Kyle, do you want to take any last uh, last word on the play-in games? I hope the Pistons make it. <laughs> <laughs> 
I think they could. I think they're playing for it too. Um, you know, looking at a starting lineup of Hayes, DeLon Wright, uh, Jeremy Grant, Griffin, if he's healthy. Sorry, I have to laugh every time I say it. Probably at the starting at the five. Maybe, maybe they get there in the East. I mean, really what I hope for even more is that both Blake and Derek Rose play great and they trade them for some really good assets at the deadline. And and we've (laughs) got some some hope for the future in Detroit. Yeah. My wish is your wish. Um, Jalen, what do you think? Any last word on, on any of the play on play in teams? Um, Well, I mean, I want to go off script and I want to ask Kyle, like, so you said it, you you felt like it was inevitable that the Ben Simmons trade would come up, which I think I agree with. And I think James Harden is kind of putting his old buddy, Daryl Morey, in a tough position by, like, making it known that now the Sixers are one of the teams he's, like, willing to be traded to, almost like putting pressure on Daryl Morey to make that decision. And Daryl Morey is sort of like, uh, no, I'm here with Ben Simmons. I'm here with Ben Simmons, you know. <laughs> right. um, uh, but yeah, I guess the question I want to ask was if that trade – or if a Sixers Rockets trade becomes a reality, would you rather give up Simmons or Embiid? Um, and then you'd mentioned like Harden winding up on the Nets. Would you pick that team to win it all? Or like, where would you rank that team in the hierarchy of the league? So the, the two, the two questions are the two different teams. Um, yeah. So the, I don't think that Embiid is a realistic trade, um, and I, I'll just I'll answer it that way, where I think the trade is for Simmons. Uh, I think that if the Sixers are trading for James Harden, they're trading for him to pair with Joel Embiid, uh, and that you will not see a situation where um, it's it's Ben Simmons and, uh, and Harden. Um, Maybe I'm wrong. Um, I, I, I just don't see it, though. And uh, I, you know, talking about your sort of self-awareness quotient here, um, I think that Kyrie is another one of those players. And having Harden and Kyrie together, um, as much as they're sort of angling to play together right now, um, you know, doesn't necessarily mean that I think they're going to play well together, um, maybe on the court and off the court. And, uh, you know, when Harden and Westbrook agreed to play together, um, I think there was some, you know, there, there was at least a belief that, okay, it can work. You know, these, these two guys know each other. Um, they know what they're getting into and, uh, and they're choosing to play together. And of course, once it happened, um, you know, all the things that we saw from the beginning that can happen when you have, uh, players with personalities like theirs that can potentially clash did happen. Right. And they clashed. And I, I, I think you'd have to pick the nets to win the East. Um, And then in any year that puts them near a coin flip to win the title. Um, Mm -hmm. But I still think that there are several teams in the West that would beat them. Yeah. Yeah, that would be, I mean, just the talent and the the sort of one-on-one offensive creation that that team would have would be potent. And I saw a trade. The defense. Uh, the defense. Yeah, the defense would not be great. Um, and it's. I don't think it's going to be great this year with the team that they have. But I saw a trade proposal online that had them also getting P.J. Tucker and Daniel House in the trade. And I'm just like, well, geez, if they get these people also, I mean, 
they're they're upgrading the defense there as well and that that could get pretty scary but I I feel like I maybe uh went hard at Russell Westbrook as I am known to do but I think I will say in credit to him I think he did I mean of course he immediately ruined it by saying I want to get back to my old playing style and when he asked for a trade but with the Rockets he there was a deference I think from him to James Harden like he recognized it was James Harden team James Harden's team and he sort of I mean they built the team around him still by trading Capella and not playing with a sender but he seemed to like recognize it was James Harden's team and defer to James Harden and the early quotes out of Washington seem to suggest he's has the same sort of attitude um uh, right. playing with Bradley Beal oftentimes yeah. what West, Russell Westbrook says in the in the media doesn't necessarily correlate with what he does on the court but you know, it's, it counts for something that he's sort of saying, I'm here to help Bradley Beal. Um, and so hopefully that, you know, as you said, hopefully that team coalesces. I mean, I think they've got a lot of offensive firepower, if nothing else. Um, Bertans is a flamethrower from three. Um, and like you said, if the pandemic ever ends and we're ever allowed to go back to games, it would be a lot of fun to see Brad Beal and Russell Westbrook and Bertans just bombing away. Yeah. Yeah. Um, some good possibilities in Washington. Not sure how far they'll go, but yeah, I, I'm hoping the pandemic ends and we all get to take the train down and see them play a game. Uh, so I think uh, that is our wrap up. We are turning off the phantom power. Cheers. Run it, 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 run it